it's, uh, it's a joy. It's really a joy to be in the presence of your people. What a great illustration from our brother Isaac at the gathering of your people and the worship of your name and the preaching of your word can revive the dry and weary soul. God, we've had hard weeks. Some of us have had weeks that we cannot, we cannot wait to forget about. And some of us are carrying that weight and that burden here today. There's a solution for it, Lord. Over and over again, your word attests to your love. We've sung about it here this morning. We've been moved by your spirit to worship you. And now we want to hear from your word, God. And we want to be reminded. We want it to be instilled. We want to be hoisted up on the truth that you love us. You love us. You love us. We need to know that here this morning, that no matter what happens in our life, that the love of God is available for us, that it's moving towards us, that your love is powerfully changing and transforming us from glory to glory. We need to be reminded of that today. Some of us need to learn and to hear that for the first time, that God loves me. So I pray and ask God that you would do what you do best by the power of your Holy Spirit. Work in the inner chambers of our soul, God, the places no man knows about except you and your spirit. Work in those deep places here today and do a work. Do a work that would bring you glory and forever change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'm excited to be here and I uh, just wanted to share briefly that we will be continuing our time in Colossians, trying to finish up here. We're in the third chapter of this book. We've got a couple more sermons, and, and I've just been super blessed by how rich the Apostle Paul and his writings are. I mean, I am just really encouraged uh, of the, the collection of letters in the New Testament, and Colossians have, it, it's just come to life for me over these last few months, these last couple of months, and I hope you have been blessed too. And uh, just thinking about the, the thread through these main chapters, chapters 2, chapters 3, as we continue on into chapter 4, and I was, I was thinking about how the Apostle Paul is writing in a way to remind us of a reality that is forever established. His writing here in this chapter is similar to chapter 2, and even in chapter 1, and he's writing in a way so that we would understand a gospel reality. I was reminded this morning of a documentary I watched a few years back uh, on a roller coaster in Cedar Point. Anybody been to Cedar Point before? Okay, where is Cedar Point? How many people love Ohio? Thought I'd get at least Liz going on that. But Ohio, great state, Buckeye State, Cedar Point, you know, it's a, an amazing amusement park. But they have a specific roller coaster there. It's a state-of-the-art roller coaster, and it's state-of-the-art because it is propelled by L-I-M. L-I-M. 
linear induction motorization. Linear induction motorization. And this particular roller coaster starts, continues, and even stops all by electromagnets. You know, if you've grown up going to amusement parks, you, uh, like I, when I was growing up, you probably went on roller coasters that were propelled a different type of way, right? That first hill that they went up, and it was like and then you would get to the top, and then that hill was essential for the, the roller coaster to get going, right? When it went down, it was like that was the momentum that would carry the roller coaster all the way to the end. A little scary if you ask me. But LMI is totally different. LMI is completely different. It starts, continues, and stops by large amounts of electricity that propel the coaster train forward. And they're set up all along the track. So as it's moving along the track, it hits an electric magnet, and it keeps going. And it hits another one, and it keeps going. And it hits another one, and it keeps going. And it hits another one, and it keeps going. And at a point where it's just, it just keeps flying around the track, at crazy speeds. And now as I read the book of Colossians, that is exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for us in our life. The gospel, the dynamized power that is essential to get us going when we're dead. We can't start without the gospel. It brings dead people to life. And it continues to propel us forward in love, in power, in service, in faith, in ministry. The L-I-M of the gospel is powerful. And it is needed in your life. It is needed in my life. It is needed in this church for us to propel forward on the track of sanctification. If we're really, really going to grow in our love for one another, we need to be experiencing the gospel love that comes from heaven. The person greatly loved can love greatly. The person greatly loved can love greatly. We can do nothing apart from the power of the gospel indicatives in these verses in chapter 3 and chapter 2. An indicative is a reality that has already taken place in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Church, the best Bible teaching, the best Bible study always starts with gospel indicatives and ends with gospel imperatives. That's the way to look at your Bible. You look at what Christ Jesus has done, what is accomplished in him, and then from that, you respond in obedience. It's a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered obedience. It starts with what God has done by his grace through the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and yes, the ascension, and do not forget the soon coming return of Jesus Christ. This is our power. 
And it causes us to be propelled and empowered into obedience. Paul shows us this structure in his chapters. He says, you were dead. You were stopped in your track, on the track of life, and you could not move. You could not satisfy the righteousness of God. You had no peace with God. You were dead in your sins, and you were an enemy cut off from the blessing of God. But then you were made alive. Gospel power, L-I-M, shot into your life, shot into my life. Now we get to participate in living out that new life. He says in our uh, text from last week, the first verse of chapter 3, he says, since you died with Christ, put to death anything that's sinful. So he says, because you've died, you have power to put to death anything that's sinful. Do you realize how the, we, we talk about the resurrection often and how that's our power. But do you know that the death on the cross gives us power? It gives us power. Jesus, he, he gave us access to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. He gave us power to put these things to death and to put them to death immediately once and for all. So since we are dead with Christ, we died with him, we can put to death the sinful nature. And then it goes on to say in that same verse, since you have been raised with Christ, you can live out a resurrected, transformed life. The resurrection gives us power to take on the new nature. Do you see how these are working together? This is the gospel. This is the L-I-M of the gospel. It's propelling us forward on our track of life. These were realities that Paul wrote about over and over again. There's power in both Jesus' death and resurrection. We need them both. We need them to put to death that which is sinful. And we learned about that last week, right? We learned that we can look alive by locking in to eternity. By locking in to Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. And we can slay sin in its tracks, right? We learned about that last week. That was the big idea from last week. Well, today Paul is going to flip the script a little bit and he's going to say, okay, put those things to death, that's good. But now you got to take on the new nature. You need a fresh awakening. You need to grow and be transformed into the image of Jesus. And he knows that we Him, the church in Colossae, cannot do it apart from gospel-centered thinking, worship, and obedience. We cannot be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient apart from understanding, receiving, and experiencing the love of God in Christ Jesus on a daily. We cannot bear with one another and forgive each other all the grievances that we cause each other Apart from understanding and receiving and experiencing how God bears with us and forgives us over and over and over again. Our passage for today is a lovely passage, literally. And in light of Valentine's Day, I think it's best that the church own what love truly is. Because God is love. He's the one who defines love. Not your social media feed, not commercialism, not American culture, not any culture. This is a beautiful passage that I pray that the Spirit of God would saturate our souls with. 
that we would savor, satiate over the love of God in Christ Jesus so that we can walk out of this place and truly love one another. How many people are struggling loving people? Okay, about half of us. The other half, maybe uh, you've arrived at glory. I'm struggling to love. I struggle to love my wife. I struggle to love my kids. I struggle to love you guys. I struggle to love my neighbors. I struggle to love people. I struggle to love. I struggle to love God. Now, I can work hard to try to figure out how to love people. I can work hard to try to figure out how to love all you guys, but that's not going to equate to me growing in love. I need to experience the love from heaven because the person greatly loved can love greatly. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, watch this, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Spirit of God, add a blessing to your word. Let us understand it in completion in Jesus' name. Amen. The first phrase, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I love that Paul uses this as a launching pad to the command that he gives after this. Really, this is the launching pad of the entirety of this portion of the letter. You will see, you will see that he reminds them that we are loved in Christ Jesus, that you and I have been chosen. I don't know about you, but that word makes me feel good. It's kind of like when I'm getting ready to play a, a pickup game of basketball. And you know the time, right? Some of, some of you guys might know where I'm going with this. You're like, let's shoot up for teams. And the first two are captains. You know, the first two hit, and you're like, you're surveying the baseline. You're like, oh, yeah, yep, I know who he's picking. I know. Yep, he's going to go with him. He's probably going to get him third. I might have to sit this one out. I don't. I love, I love when someone who is unlikely gets picked first. I watch kids from time to time, and when a captain goes off the kind of beaten path, say it's Momo, and he's like, you know what, I'm going I'm to roll the dice a little bit today. Yeah, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with Shorty. He's, you know, he's not the most gifted. He's not the most talented. He's not the most fastest, not the most strongest. Give me Pee Wee. Come on, Pee Wee. And Pee Wee's on the sideline like, yeah. 
a new pep in the step. He's like, yeah, he chose me first. Each and every one of us, each and every one of us, no matter where you've come from, how gifted, how not gifted, how whatever it is, you have been chosen by God. You've been chosen. This is language that he uses in the Old Testament for the whole entire nation of Israel when he chooses them specifically. These are going to be my people who I pour out my blessing and make my covenant with. These are going to be the one that fulfill my promises. These are going to be the ones that I bless with land and law. I want you to know this morning, you're elected by God. He saw you far off before the foundations of the earth, and he said, yep, Luther Bass, he's mine. No matter how much he may go through, no matter how much rough patches he may hit, I've elected him. He's mine. Brother Nate, no matter how much he's gone through, he's mine. I choose him. And here's the, here's the thing, guys. You and I, we're dead in our tracks on the roller coaster. Don't even believe that. You don't think for a moment that you choose God. You don't. <laughs> I've never, ever seen dead things, dead people do anything. God chooses us in our death, in our sin, in our rebellion. He illuminates the gospel. He illuminates faith and says, I am going to give you life. Chosen, elected, his very first pick. You and I are a bunch of peewees, y'all. Unlikely, overlooked, undersized. And he says, I want you. Chosen, elect, called out. It's based on his personal preference. He chooses who he will save and then brings about salvation. Those who he pours out his salvific love on. He says they're going to get it and it's apart from anything they've ever done, are doing, or will do. It's because of me. And then he says, I'm also going to make them holy too. <laughs> they're set apart. Another word for this is distinguishable. If I was to be sharing with my crossover kids today... I would say it this, I would say it like this, God called you, he called you to be different, different. Look at your neighbor and just for a moment, just say, you different, different. Look to your other neighbor, say, you different, different. See, God calls you to be different, different, distinguishable. When he elects, when he calls, he says, yeah, I'm going to fill them with my Holy Spirit to be different, different. God chooses to save us and sets us apart by filling us with his Holy Spirit. And at that moment, we are empowered to live a life, not in our own strength, but in his strength that comes via the Holy Spirit. And then, and then he says this, dearly loved, dearly loved. This one just stopped me in my tracks during my study this week. This one stopped me in my tracks and I just... I just sensed that God was saying through that as I read that word right there that he wanted to remind us that we're his dearly loved. That we're his dearly loved. That he has a personal preference for you, an intimate 
intimate desire for you in a way that is not sexual, it's not physical, it's not like you and I can conjure up here on this earth. It is one that is deeply spiritual, it's unconditional, it's self-sacrificial, it's other-seeking. This is the love that God has. He's saying, I love you. I love you. You're my dearly loved, beloved. I love you. Paul starts with this phrase because he wants us to know that the most important truth in order to put on the new nature is that we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. It starts from that place. It continues with that place. And at the end of the day, guys, when this whole thing is done and over with, that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to bring us into eternity. We miss this. We miss the rest of the text. We miss this. We miss God's love for us that's unconditional. You and I really can't love our wives, our husbands. We can't love the sinner that continues to come into our life. We can't love the other church member who seems to be a little difficult. We can't love our neighbors or our kids that we work with. The person greatly loved can love greatly. And what I mean by that is when we are experiencing this grandiose love that comes from heaven, oh, it's powerful to move you into a place where you can love greatly. He says from this phrase, in light of that, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion is defined as this according to the NIV application commentary. The author says this, to have a heartfelt inclination towards the lowly and downtrodden in the community. To have a heartfelt inclination towards the lonely and downtrodden in the community. Jesus was moved by this compassion. He felt for those who were ostracized, downtrodden, marginalized, those who were overlooked, those who were usurped of their rights. Jesus was moved by compassion for these people. We must have this same nature as Christ himself. We must be surveying the land right here in this room and see who are the downtrodden among us. Who are the forgotten, overlooked? Who are the undervalued, the underestimated, the peewees among us? Who does God want to send us to to pour out our heartfelt compassion? It comes from the very bottom of our soul. The word literally means a movement in your bowels. It's deep inside of you. That's what God, that's what God did in Christ Jesus. He looked at us and saw us downtrodden. He saw us helpless, scattered, and he was moved by compassion. Kindness. This is a gracious sensitivity towards others that is triggered by genuine care for their feelings and desires. I love that Paul puts this in there because it strikes me right across my whole entire life. A genuine care for feelings and desires. God, help me be kind. Help me to care and be concerned with the feelings of others. Because Jesus 
was concerned about our whole being, not just physical, not just spiritual, but he was concerned about our emotions too. Humility. The definition that I read says this, it checks the incessant quest to attain honor and rise in the pecking order. Ouch. Humility allows us to serve others without caring if it's noticed or not. Ouch, ouch. It is open to correction, rebuke, and reproof. Ouch, ouch, ouch. That's not typical human nature. I don't operate in humility, y'all. In my flesh, oh, I'm defensive. I'm ready to give an argument back. I'm ready to defend myself and say, but what about? Not ready to receive correction. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to offer excuses. And I have this underlying, I do in my flesh, I have a desire to want to be noticed and seen by people. It's not funny. It's really not. It's sad. Because I'm a pastor. And at the end of the day, I should want all glory to go to Jesus Christ. And so should you. Shouldn't be looking to how to get ahead and how to be noticed and recognized. Pray for me. It's hard when you're up here every single week preaching. You want to be known. You want to be heard. You want your church to grow. Pray for me as I pray for you. To be able to receive correction, rebuke, reproof. He goes on to say that gentleness, listen to this, and this will all lead up to the next passage. Gentleness makes allowance for others, enables us to criticize another's conduct so that they experience it as a help and not a condemnation. That's gentleness. When I can bring something up in my marriage and it's, it's truly offered in a way that my wife feels, wow, that was really constructive. You said that in a way like you weren't really looking down on me. I really felt like you cherish me. You care for me. You love me. But you were just bringing something that I could grow in. Thanks, honey. How many of us are familiar with the opposite? I feel like you're always criticizing me. Because I am. I feel like you're always pointing out what I do wrong. Because I am. I feel like whenever I have something, that you just you don't allow room. It seems like you're trying to like always point things out. Because I am. I don't know, I'm just sharing my own diary here. I don't know about you. I am so quick to criticize people, so quick to point out what people do wrong. And unless I bring it under the auspice of the Holy Spirit and I live out this passage, it can be done very poorly. When, when I bring correction as a leader in this church, in my marriage, among my elders, in my community with my neighbors, the kids I work with on a daily basis, help me to be gentle, God. Help us to be gentle. Patience refrains from exacting revenge or reprisals against enemy and is willing to endure wrongs. I added this, especially within the context of the church. I look around and I really don't see a lot of people willing to endure wrongs. I've wanted to pull out often of this community because I've endured wrongs. 
And I'm just like, I'm done enduring wrong. I'm gone. But that's the exact opposite of what Paul the Apostle is saying here. Be patient when someone offends you or mistreats you or misspeaks of you or lashes out towards you or continues to do it. Be patient. Endure that for the sake of life coming in your community. Isn't that what God does for us? Like, honestly, guys, how many times do we constantly offend God in heaven? All the time. We are living offensively with our speech, with our thoughts, with our actions. And he's just like, patient. Patient, my child. Hey, I'm going to bring a little brother or sister in here of Christ to kind of speak. Hey, I'm going to show you this in the word. Yeah, I'm going to speak to you uh, through this passage. I'm going to show you that this is uh, not right. And then over and over again, we just steamroll past those, those warnings, those corrections, those reproofs. But then the moment someone does it to us in a community, we're like, I'm done. I've had it. This church, this pastor, He's so unkind and ungentle. Yes, I am. I am. Help me. Jesus. Can we work through it? I'm done. I really don't want to be humorous about this. I want to walk with humility in this because this is disastrous for our community. Paul says in the final verse, the next verse, he says, bear with each other. Bear with each other. Would you? Would you bear with each other? And forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In this community, we will hurt each other. If you're brand new to this church, you're visiting for the first time, welcome to New Life Community Church. So glad you're here. Stick around for a little bit. It gets real, real, real quick. But what I hope is that we can live out this passage. Let's bear with one another. I've been, I've been graced by leaders like Isaac, Oscar, Danny, who are elders, ministry leaders like the Kearneys, the Ryans, people that have been persevering for years, willing to bear with me, willing to forgive me. Willing to forgive each other. Why? Well, Paul, the apostle says it right there. He says, because the Lord forgave you. Do you see how our forgiveness for one another isn't contingent upon someone saying, I'm sorry. Let me preach for a second. I really want to preach this one down. Because we'll be like, I am so filled with hurt and this person, it's just always, and it continues to happen, and I'm done. Oh, oh, last time I checked, the Lord forgave you seven times, 77 times, 777 times, 7,777 times. But you can't forgive them five times? Am I, am I missing the power of the gospel in his forgiveness towards you? 
In that moment, you know what people are doing? Can I just say this? And I do it too. They're not understanding how much they've been forgiven before God. Church, we are the scummiest of the scummiest on the planet. <laughs> Idolaters, God-haters, rebellious. Oh, even if you grew up in a Christian home. Even if you went to church your whole life. Self-righteousness, pompous, spiritual pride, judgment, all of it, it's there. Ask for the Lord to show you how much he has forgiven you and is forgiving you and will forgive, forgive you. It will change how you engage with people in a community. I kid you not. The way I stay here, and I'm not as if boasting of myself that I've been here for a long time, but do you know how I've stayed here? Bearing with, forgiving. It's because I, I look at my heart. I look at what I did. I look at what I do. And I'm like, how can I withhold forgiveness, God? I'm wretched. And still, somehow, you pour your love into my life. Still, somehow, you bear with me. You forgive me over and over again. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. This is how we do it. All other virtues, these virtues are characterized in Jesus' life. They are fully embodied both in his earthly incarnate ministry and his eternal ministry as well. This is the exact nature that he extends to us time after time and calls us to do the same for others. Then in verse 14, he comes back around over all these virtues, all those things you heard, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. A dear sister from our church, Huff Mama. She texted me this last week with an amazing illustration. I want to share her illustration here this morning. And I want to do it by saying this. Anybody who's been in the LaTorre home knows that John LaTorre is the baker in the house. Wife, say amen. Amen. <laughs> I could spout off the recipe of my famous cookies right now that I stole from her mom. <laughs> step by step, two cups of flour sifted into the bowl. Half a teaspoon of salt on top. Baking soda, half a teaspoon. Throw it in. Dry ingredients done. <laughs> Brown sugar, full cup. It's the better of the two. White sugar, half cup. It's the white devil. Butter, check this out. A stick and a half, bro. Fire. You're feeling it, right? Mix that together. A tablespoon of vanilla. So good. So good. But I'm missing one ingredient. <laughs> I'm missing two ingredients. Everybody's like, chips, chips, chips. You forgot to say the chips. They're chocolate chip cookies, John. Chips are going last. There's one other one. Egg. One whole egg in. The other egg, just the yolk. Liz is like, okay, I might take that. 
apart from the egg, all those ingredients fall apart. Why? Because the egg is the binding agent that brings all the ingredients together. Thank you, Adria. And why? It unifies it. Love, love from heaven, self-sacrificing, unconditional love. This is why we are gentle, compassionate. This is why we are patient and kind. Because we're trying to make cookies, y'all. In the final three verses, and I'm going to close with this, and ask the, uh, uh, the worship team to come up. Paul the Apostle closes by giving us some great instructions on how to fulfill these amazing commands in community. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. That's gospel peace. In the genitive sense, Jesus owns that peace. He gives that peace. Only he can give it. The world can't take it away or give it. Belongs to him. And then he goes on to say, and be thankful. He actually, he mentions his thanksgiving three times in this text. Why? Because thanksgiving is a powerful tool to keep unity in a body. Be thankful. Sing to God with gratitude. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness is a mark of someone who's drinking deep of the gospel message. They know that they've, they've been rewarded something they did not deserve, did not earn. So they're ready to forgive. They're ready to forgive their spouse, regardless of what they do. They're ready to forgive their pastor, regardless of what he's done. They're ready to forgive those who have hurt them deeply because they have this pool of the gospel welling up inside of them. It's dwelling richly there. The message of Christ, you see where I'm going with this. When the message of Christ is dwelling in you richly, you're greatly loved, and then you can love greatly. Do you see where I'm going? And out of that pool of the gospel, there's songs, there's hymns, there's spiritual hymns. You're blessing one another. You're singing songs to God in thanksgiving. We need a fresh baptism in this place, y'all. Like, honestly, we need to be a people who are marked by God's love. Your marriage depends on it. Your ministry depends on it. Your parenthood depends on it. I don't want us to walk out of here operating outside of understanding, experiencing, and knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to sing this amazing song that the worship team has selected. And if you're sensing that God is leading you to, to, to live in love in a way for Jesus Christ, as if you're doing it for him himself, after he's loved, chosen, forgiven, 
I want to invite you just to pray. You don't got to come up here. If you want prayer from one of the prayer leaders or myself, you're more than welcome to come and join me. I'll be on my knees up here. You can pray in your seat. You can pray with your spouse. You can pray with a prayer leader, but I want to pray. <laughs> I want to pray. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. We all need to grow in this understanding of God's love. Amen.